that I get a break from speaking and a rest. And, um, yeah, thank you. Um, and you get, you know, for those of you who get tired of me, too, you get a little break and a rest. And so, um, I was really ministered to last week. And so this week, our guest is Tom Lynn. Um, Tom is a graduate of Harvard and Fuller Seminary. He has planted university ministries at Harvard University, Boston University, and 16 other um, schools uh, or fellowships in the Midwest. He, is, he was the uh, in-country director um, and overseer in Mongolia for a couple of years. And um, I think IFES, that's International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, which is a, a part or branch of InterVarsity's ministry. Currently, he's vice president of, Madison, of missions and the director of the Urbana Student Missions Conference. So if you remember hearing about Urbana, and we, we funded some students going to it, and there's some people here that went to Urbana. Um, Tom is in charge of putting that on with a team. I think he has a few people that help him with that. And um, also, he, Tom is, is married um, to his wife, Nancy, and she is a stay-at-home mom, so I'm assuming there is some moderate pile of children um, associated with him and their family. And there's no, there's no hobbies listed, but I'm sure that he has some very interesting and engaging hobbies that we would all respect him more for and listen to him more attentively about if he were to share them. So, um, but the, the most important thing, Tom comes very highly recommended to us for all the people that know him. I got to listen to his talks before um, we, we had him, we invited him formally, which is great. But part of it, too, is I want you to engage in the spiritual discipline of trusting in God's providence for who he, he's, gonna br- he's bringing to speak to you, that, you, under, that you, you believe in this moment of preaching and him coming and sharing with us. Okay, so let's pray for Tom as he comes, and then let's listen to what he has to say. Father, we lift up Tom to you, and we pray um, that you would, um, you would lift him up, you would strengthen him, you'd give him clarity of mind so that he's equal to the task of speaking your word mediated through his personality. We pray that you would um, benefit us from his experience, education, his relationship with you, what he's come to know. Help us to understand the changing face of missions. Help us to understand and see how we can be part of your work across the street and around the world. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would be, you would, you would be poured out on him at this moment um, for our good and for the good of the truth in your in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Uh, it is great to be here, and I'm glad I could serve you, Nick, and fill the pulpit, give him a break. I guess it's always a good thing when there's not like a standing applause when they said that, you know, you weren't speaking for a few weeks. Uh, I, guess, I guess they miss you, so that's a good thing. Uh, it really is. It's an honor to be here also because this church I've heard so much about in your commitment to missions. Uh, and also to Urbana, uh, the Urbana Student Missions Conference, which took place about two months ago. And so on behalf of InterVarsity, I want to formally say thank you as a church. Thank you for your partnership. Um, you know, over a thousand InterVarsity staff put on the Urbana Conference, including many High Point members. So folks like Bob Grauman and Dan Pinka and many others that go to this church uh, were a part of that. And we could not have done the conference without you and your support, your ongoing support of those staff, scholarships that you gave for people to go. So thank you for that. As a student myself, uh, my life was changed because of InterVarsity. Uh, I was one of those students who never had any missions vision going to college. I never dreamed of being a missionary. I was never taught to be a missionary. I had no global awareness at all. Um, I was uh, one of those folks who was taught that missionaries, you know, they were kind of for fanatics who had nothing better to do with their lives. Have you ever heard that before? 
Um, as the oldest son of immigrant parents who sacrificed a lot for my education, I was taught that only one type of job was acceptable after college, and that had to have the two S's, stability and security. Okay. Uh, my parents came from Asia so that I wouldn't have to live in Asia. Uh, they came from poverty so that I wouldn't have to live in poverty. But God had other plans. As a senior at Urbana 93, God captured me with a vision for the world. Uh, he showed me something that I would give my life for, and I responded to him, Yes, Lord, whatever I can do in your mission, I'll do it. Wherever it is, I'll go. And so, sure enough, a few years later, he took me up on that offer, and he called my wife and I uh, to the country of Mongolia. And ironically, we found ourselves living both in poverty and in Asia. <laughs> uh, here's a picture uh, of my wife uh, and my oldest daughter. I have two daughters, uh, Abby and Libby, who are now eight and six. This is my older daughter, Abby, uh, and she grew up in Mongolia. That is not our horse, but looks great in the picture. Okay. <laughs> Now, as I share my story with uh, folks in different churches or friends, I think what strikes them most is that I don't look like the previous generation of missionaries from North America. I have an Asian face. Uh, and this is happening globally. There is a changing face of missions today. Uh, two years ago, there was another major conference, global conference, called the Lausanne Cape Town Congress. Uh, this is a congress that only happens every two decades. Uh, this Congress gathered about 4,000 evangelical leaders from 198 countries. Uh, wonderful speakers, gifted leaders gathered in South Africa to discuss the future of the global church and missions. Can you guess who had the biggest inspiration on all of us? Only one of two people to receive a standing ovation, the longest ovation of the Congress. She was an 18-year-old North Korean student who's in the picture there. Kyungju Song was born in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. She was an only child, and her father was an assistant to the leader, Kim Jong-il, at the time. When she was six years old, her mother died of leukemia, and her father was politically persecuted, but they fled and escaped to China. In China, a relative brought Kyungju's father to a church where he came to know Jesus. He started to study the Bible, and eventually the Lord called him to be a missionary to North Korea. In 2001, though, he was reported to be a Christian. He was arrested by the Chinese police, deported back to North Korea for a prison sentence, and left Kyungju behind in China. Three years later, he was, able to, he was released. Uh, he was returned to China, and he went right back into smuggling Bibles into North Korea. In 2006, he was discovered by the North Korean government, arrested again, and this time, there's been no word since then heard by him. He's likely been shot to death for treason. In 2007, Kyungju, who was not a Christian at the time, was invited to go to South Korea. And while she was still in China waiting at the Korean embassy, she had a conversion experience with Jesus. Jesus came to her in her dream, she says. He said, walk with me. Yes, you lost your earthly father, but I am your heavenly father. And whatever happened to you is because I love you. Kyungju responded by kneeling and praying to God for the first time. And she said, God, here I am. I just lay everything down and give you my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Please use me as you will. And then as she shared with these 4,000 participants, she closed with these words. Everything that I experienced, I want to give it all to God and to use my life for his kingdom. 
Currently, I'm working hard to get into university to study political science and diplomacy. I want to work for the rights of the people of North Korea. I believe God's heart cries out for the lost people of North Korea. I humbly ask you, my brothers and sisters, to have the same heart of God. Please pray that the same light of God's grace and mercy that reached my father and my mother and now me will one day come down upon the people of North Korea, my people. This is an 18-year-old North Korean student responding to God's missionary call. God is good, amen? There's a changing face of missions today, literally in the missionaries, but more importantly in the entire landscape of global Christianity. I've been referring to this new face of missions as part of the new normal. In recent years, we've seen an amazing pace of change throughout the world in all sectors of our society. There have been economic changes, right? Amazing changes in the economic landscape. We see it in the dramatic rise of emerging market economies around the world and a great global recession. More than 20 of the world's top 50 cities ranked in GDP will be located in Asia by the year 2025. That's up from just eight cities just a few years ago. China will become the number one economy in the world by 2040, and India a close third. Uh, McKinsey Consulting Group uh, wrote a very stunning report that uh, summarized this. Shanghai and Beijing will outrank Los Angeles and London, while Mumbai and Doha will surpass Munich and Denver. The implications are profound. Of course, there have been technology changes as well. Uh, technology has not only driven exponential change in business, business efficiencies, but it's actually actually enabled greater missions efficiencies, facilitating networks between house churches in China, empowering on-the-ground relief efforts in Haiti and Japan. Uh, when Wycliffe Bible translators started translation efforts in the 1940s, there were about 10 new starts a year. Now, because of technology, there can be over 75 new starts a year enabled by technology. There have been political changes around the world. We've seen it on the news, quick rises and falls of political regimes, increasing regional conflicts like in North Africa. They're continuing to happen at a dramatic pace. Population changes too. More than half of the world's global population now is under 25 years old. A third of the global population is under 15 years old becoming more and more youthful generation. Uh, no Western country is in the top 25 in population growth, and none of the top urban centers in the world are in the West. Um, so here's a chart. You can see the top five cities in terms of population, top 10 cities. None of them are in the West. And then likewise, of course, we're seeing changes, these kinds of dramatic changes also in global Christianity and global missions. They're not just a blip on the tree, uh, a screen, not just a trend, but I believe they represent a new normal in missions. New mission-sending countries are surpassing Western missionary-sending efforts. New mission structures are growing, and I think it's phenomenal. Uh, there are now missional for-profit businesses, non-religious, non-profit organizations that are doing missions work. This morning, uh, I've been asked to share with you six reflections on how the face of missions is changing. And then I want to answer a bigger question for us for, as an American church, which is, what should we do about this new normal? How should we respond to this new normal? 
Uh, first, a scripture to center us, and some of you may have looked at it this month already, comes from Acts 1.8. Um, so let me read it to you. If you have your Bibles, you can look, but it's a short verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I know this is a familiar verse to many of us. The context for this verse, though, is very interesting. The center of the church was not in North America at the time, but in Jerusalem, in the Middle East. Jesus is challenging the young church to think beyond just their neighbors, to cross cultures, to cross language barriers, geographical boundaries. It's something that we find throughout Scripture, from the beginning when God called Abraham in Genesis 12 to not just bless his own family, not just to bless his own tribe, but to bless the nations. So in many ways, as we consider the new normal today, we also remember this is actually the original normal, that the global mission began at the center being in Jerusalem, and for us in North America being the ends of the earth. We live in an amazing time now where Christ's witnesses are truly going from everywhere to everywhere. And that leads me to my first reflection this morning, which is the prominence of the Global South Church. By the Global South, what we mean is Asia, Africa, and Latin America. This amazing part of the majority world, we would say it's the majority world, where there's 80% of the global population and only 15% of the wealth. Here's a snapshot of the growth of the church in the global south. Uh, many scholars say that this, this church growth in the global south represents the biggest religious shift in human history. In just a 150-year period of time, we've essentially seen the world's Christian population flip from in 1900 when it was about 80% white and 20% non-white to in 2050 where we're easily projecting almost 80% non-white and 20% white. It's an amazing shift. Today, there are more cross-cultural long-term missionaries being sent from Asia, Africa, and Latin America than there are being sent from Europe and North America. Most of those cross-cultural missionaries are from, can you guess which countries? Korea, Brazil, which has recently overtaken Korea as the number two sending country, and India. India, I find it fascinating. There's over 400 mission agencies in the country of India alone because there's so many different people groups. The task is so diverse there. Um, here's a picture. Of, uh, the, the picture on the right is of uh, several directors of student ministries in South Asia, one of them uh, being uh, the leader of the movement in India. And India alone supplies that student movement, graduates about half of the missionaries that eventually serve in Indian mission agencies. Uh, and the picture on the left is of the director of the ministry in Indonesia, leads, does significant work among Christians and to Christians and reaching non-believers in Indonesia. Um, and there's my daughter who's with them. Her name's Abby, so I thought I'd squeeze that in there. Um, it's an amazing time of growth of the church. There are missionaries from the global south that are planting churches everywhere. If you think about the largest church in the UK in London is a Nigerian church. The largest church outside of the UK in Europe is a Nigerian church. One of the top five churches in New York City is a Nigerian church. Church planting is going on everywhere 
from the global south. This Sunday, today, in Denmark, more than half of all the churchgoers are actually from Asia or Africa. Half the churchgoers in London are either African or Afro-Caribbean. And it's likely that more Christian believers are attending church today in China than in all of Christian Europe combined. Amazing changes. There's literally a missions movement in China called the Back to Jerusalem movement. Missionaries, Chinese missionaries, who have a calling to bring the gospel to their ends of the earth. Uh, The country with the fastest growing uh, public student movement uh, is now in Ethiopia. Uh, The largest movement actually is in Nigeria also. But the uh, fastest growing movement is Ethiopia. And I went there a few years ago, and it was a fascinating, encouraging time for me. Uh, The picture on the left that you see are uh, Ethiopian students. And actually, each of these Ethiopian students leads a ministry of 600 students. One person leads 600. And together, these guys together lead a ministry, a fellowship that's like over 2,000 students on their campus. Three students. No professional ministers, three students. Um, The movement in Ethiopia is exploding. Philip Jenkins is the author of The Next Christian, a book that I highly recommend, and he summarizes these changes probably the best. Over the past century, the center of gravity in the Christian world has shifted inexorably southward to Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Christianity should enjoy a worldwide boom in the new century, but the vast majority of believers will be neither white nor European nor Euro-American. Neither white nor Western, and let me add one more, nor wealthy. Wealthy. Um, This is a a quote from Andrew Walls, who's a a very uh, well-regarded missiologist and theologian. He says this, Today, Christianity is a church of the poor the religion of rather very poor people with few gifts to bring except the gospel itself. And the heartlands of the church will include some of the poorest countries on earth. And indeed, where the gospel is going fastest around the world are some of the world's poorest places. The invitation for us in missions then, and the question I think for us to wrestle with is, how do we in the American church work alongside the global south? And as I travel around the world, it's very important for me to say that Many people still say, we still need you, American church. It's not that they can do it without us. Often what they say is, we want, if we could have resources and infrastructure support, that will help us. Um, the the uh, uh, picture above um, is of Colin and Chun. They're friends of mine who work in the IT industry in Silicon Valley. Uh, they left their jobs in the IT industry to move to Mongolia. And I think they're great representatives of the 21st century missionary. So what did they do in Mongolia? They set up IT infrastructure for churches, for mission organizations. They went around helping schools, teaching in schools if possible. They went around helping missionary families like my own. They did babysitting for us. These are 21st century missionaries helping with support. It's not just financial support, which we often think about, but serving alongside churches who want to start different things, who want to start community organizations, vocational training centers, discipleship centers, Bible schools. That's the new face of missions. Uh, The second reflection I have is uh, it's important that we, we talk about the growth in Islam. We cannot not talk about it. Uh, Islam's growth will be fueled by uh, high birth rates in traditionally Muslim countries. That will just continue. 
there's aggressive missionary expansion going on. Muslim missionaries are going to countries around the world sharing about Islam. Islam is now the number one religion in Paris and London. And nearly one out of every four people in the world are Muslim. Uh, Pew Research Foundation says that 1.6 billion Muslims are in the world. And more than 60% of them are in Asia. 20% of them are in the Middle East and North Africa, with the, large, the five largest countries being Indonesia, Egypt, Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh. Today, uh, in the world that I live in, in student ministry, this is also a big challenge. Um, there are IFES movements, uh, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, in 150, about 157 countries. There's about 17 countries that have universities that don't have Christian student movements. Most of those remaining countries, and the least evangelized are, Muslim countries. Uh, one of those countries uh, that was on uh, our heart is Brunei. Uh, Brunei is a very small country next to Singapore, 99% Muslim. The sultan, a very rich sultan, rules that country. Uh, there is not even one Christian student group in that country. And when my wife and I visited, we asked the question, what can we do? What can we do? Maybe the biggest problem for us as an American church is that we're out of touch with Islam. We've never met a Muslim in person. Um, surveys show that 86% of Muslims in the world have never personally met a Christian. Never personally met a Christian. So I think the invitation for us is to think about our context in the world. How do we seek friendships with our Muslim neighbors here in Madison? Do we know any? How can we also engage with Muslims in our Judea, in our ends of the earth, as we think about the world's growth, uh, the growth of Islam in the world? Third reflection, that is, uh, we're seeing a decline in the Christian West, or a re-evangelization of the West. We've seen it all over the media. The end of Christian America, people say, right? The USA Today a few months ago repeated that we're officially no longer a Protestant majority in the U.S. Less than 50% are Protestant, and the fastest-growing religious segment is the non-religious, or the atheists. Western church attendance is in decline. In Canada, only about 4% of the population now goes to church. In England, only 1% of people under 35 years old go to church, attend church regularly. Uh, the Barna Group research in the U.S. estimates, and this is one of the, the, the statistics that's dear to my heart, about 80% of American students, high school students, young people, before they get to college, if they're Christians, by the time they leave college and graduate, they will leave their faith. Four out of every five. Four out of every five. American campuses, of course, are not helping. <laughs> American campuses have become hostile. There are evangelical student groups being threatened and kicked off university campuses in record numbers. Supreme Court cases that are going against the university campuses, the Christian groups. Uh, this is an interesting um, quote that I came, a story that I came across. The University of Alberta came under fire in recent uh, years from atheist students who objected to the graduation charge. The graduation charge was simply this, to work for the glory of God and the honor of the country. Uh, they didn't like that. So they got it changed. There was a compromise, and the university says that this is now their graduation charge. Okay. 
for the uplifting of the whole people, to inspire the human spirit, for all who believe to serve your God and to pursue more steadfastly whatsoever things are true. That's the new graduation charge. <laughs> One of the things I do want to say is that God is at work, though. God is at work in evangelism, in re-evangelization of the West. In InterVarsity alone, in our organization, we're actually seeing in the last five years record conversions, people coming to faith more than in any five-year period of our history. And we have a history that goes back to 1940. We're seeing many, many folks come to faith in our own context, and we celebrate that. Of course, another trend that we see in the West is that not just becoming a non-religious nation, we're becoming an unholy nation, many would say. Right? Non-believing friends, you've probably heard it, would say, why should I even consider Christianity? You're no different, right? And they're right. If you compare Christians and non-Christians in Gallup polls of lifestyle, of living, you see it in, in, in drinking, in sex outside of marriage, any lifestyle issue, there's hardly any statistical difference. So I think missions is a call to live out the other side of our missionary mandate. In Exodus 19, in 1 Peter 2, it talks about us being a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Remember these phrases? A holy nation. God says, out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Mission is giving attention to our character, our relationships with one another, our lifestyles. So I think the invitation for us is dual, to live like God's chosen people here in the U.S., in our own Jerusalem, and to share the gospel with an increasingly unchurched generation in the West. Fourth, the fourth reflection is a rapid growth in the orality movement and the Bible poverty movement. Uh, this is, for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, it's a huge issue today. Desmond Tutu says this, if you want to keep people subjugated, the last thing you place in their hands is a Bible. There's nothing more radical, revolutionary, nothing more subversive against injustice and oppression than the Bible. Sadly, though, over 300 million people in the world don't have a Bible in their own language. There are translations still needed in about 2,000 different languages. Uh, even larger, uh, an unreached people group that many people are not aware of is that there's a 4 billion in the world who are illiterate and oral learners without any access to the scriptures. They're illiterate or oral learners without access to the scriptures. Uh, here's a uh, picture, some pictures from Peru. This is the Quechua peoples. Uh, the Quechua peoples, and it was a literacy project uh, that was done with these people. And the woman you see on your right there, she is reading the Bible in her language for the very first time, and I was able to witness it. She was weeping, and I have video footage of it too. Um, she had been through a literacy project that taught her how to read her own language that lasted for a few years. And, this is, and then simultaneously, they were translating the Bible uh, in her own language, and she was reading it for the very first time. The face of missions also needs to address illiteracy for holistic reasons as well as uh, reasons related to the Bible. Uh, here's a recent UN study showed that a 1% rise in women's literacy is three, per, three times more likely to reduce deaths in children than a 1% rise in the number of doctors. Illiteracy. 
Ironically, a ministering to the illiterate in Bible translation is actually not just a growing movement for the church, it's a growing movement within the UN and even for-profit companies. Here is a uh, uh, picture from a Chinese newspaper, an advertisement with these logos on it. All of these logos appeared together on one page. And you might be asking, why? This was a partnership between Save the Children, UNICEF, IKEA, and Wycliffe Bible Translators. They worked together to do a Chinese minority language project. Of course, the UN is interested in developing minority languages to help alleviate poverty as these languages, um, they see language as a development key. Uh, But they worked together on a Bible translation together. The new face of missions is government institutions, for-profit companies, and non-profit and Christian mission agencies collaborating together. I think that's amazing. So I think the challenge for us as a church in the West is to not take the scriptures for granted. Uh, Remember that much of the world doesn't even have a Bible in their own mother tongue, or they can't read the scriptures. And for some of us, we might want to ask the question, how can we get involved in orality? How can we get involved in Bible translation to the ends of the earth? How can we appreciate the Bibles we have in our own languages, in our own Jerusalem? Number five. Uh, As I think about the changing face of missions, we can't help but talk about the rapid urbanization and migration of peoples going on in the world. Um, It continues to happen at a spectacular rate. In 20 years, China's cities alone will add 350 million people and hit the one billion mark in cities by 2030. That's just the cities in China. Africa and Asia will account for seven out of every 10 urban inhabitants. Seven out of every 10. And so as an effect of this, the massive urbanization and migration, what will happen is the challenges we're already seeing in the cities will worsen. High unemployment, lack of educational opportunities, vulnerability to militia or radicalization, uh, less participation in traditional religions. These are all happening right now and it'll only get worse. So the opportunity then in missions, and there's a huge opportunity then, is serving these cities. Businesses' missions is exploding as a ministry. Those of you involved with business, you may have noticed this. More and more people are thinking about how do they use their business skills in missions, providing jobs, creating jobs for those in cities, to impact cities, creating jobs that have fair wages, Uh, Urban planners are needed. People involved with urban planning and urban policy, public policy, going into these countries and engaging the cities. Engineering, building up infrastructure in these cities. As we think about unreached people groups in the world, um, 30% of the larger unreached people groups uh, are actually diaspora groups or immigrant groups. They're actually spread out, many of them now living in the West. In many ways, they're no longer unreached. That's a big change. Hindu and Muslim groups, uh, international groups, are coming to the U.S. in record numbers. International students uh, are are growing and growing higher than ever in our history. Uh, The top-sending country today is India. And among the fastest-growing international student populations is from Saudi Arabia. Huge opportunities. So there are different paradigms needed to reach these groups since they now live across the street. The invitation for us in missions, then, is for the American church to be witnesses in our own Jerusalem, 
as people groups around the world move across the street to cities like Madison. Uh, this is a quote from a, a well-known sociologist, Grace Davies. Mission is no longer about crossing the oceans, jungles, and deserts, but it's about crossing the streets of the world's cities. Sixth and lastly, uh, like Kyung Ju Song, a generation, this generation sees justice as an expression of Christ's mission. They see justice as an expression of missions. Justice in all its forms, economic, exploitation, equity, ecology, addressing all of those. Uh, the picture you see there uh, is with me with, uh, his name is Elamaihu. He is a, the country director of Wicca Bible Translators in Ethiopia. He was a former uh, Ethiopian director for World Vision. Um, he represents a new era of leadership. He's a, a national, Ethiopian national, not an expat. And as I went out with him to uh, see some projects together, he kept saying to me, Tom, you know, the one thing we cannot do in mission is separate the gospel message and gospel practice. He said, when I go to a town, I cannot just give them the Bible. I cannot just give them the Word of God without practicing the Word of God. And so he was sharing this with me because a lot of these towns he was visiting um, were asking him for mosquito nets to prevent malaria, prevent other diseases, very practical needs. And prior to him, the leader had said, oh no, sorry, we don't do mosquito nets. We only give you the Word of God. And he said, we cannot separate giving the Word of God from practicing the Word of God. In the last decade, we've seen a tremendous amount of increased work in the area of justice, especially uh, focusing on AIDS and focusing on women and children at risk. And InterVarsity is well invested in this as well. We have many campaigns going on to help fight human trafficking. As some of you may know, 27 million people today are, are involved with modern-day slavery. It's the second largest crime in the world next to the drug trade. And so lots of us are working against, this, against human trafficking. Uh, a last story to share with you related to justice is uh, this uh, student here named Josiah Carter. Uh, he's one of three Drake University students who a few years ago returned from a project in Ethiopia. You saw an earlier picture of these students in Ethiopia. They wanted to continue the work they had done. They wouldn't want to come back to America and just, you know, uh, show lots of pictures of their short-term vacation, right? Uh, they had worked with prostitutes in Ethiopia, helping with rehabilitation and serving them in various ways. So when they came back here, they wanted to do something still. So within three months, these Drake students started up their own company called Beza Threads. You can find it online at bezathreads.org. They purchased scarves that were handmade by former prostitutes in Ethiopia, and they sold tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of scarves here in order to raise funding and awareness to stopping child sex slavery. And I love this story because within three months, and this is totally indicative of this generation of missions, within three months, short, this, they went on a short-term mission project to a startup company to an innovative partnership that raised enough money to free six girls from the street, all in three months. Josiah Carter is now serving as the executive director of Beza Threads, and he is another picture of the new face of missions. A 22-year-old graduate who grew up in the farmlands of Iowa, still living in Iowa, being a witness to prostitutes in a very Christian Ethiopia from everywhere to everywhere. God is good, amen? 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for being a God who is at work around the world. Thank you for being a God who loves the world and who calls all of your peoples from all nations to be involved in your mission. Thank you that you call us all to be your witnesses. And Lord, we pray that we might be your witnesses, both locally here in our Jerusalems and also to the ends of the earth as we join our brothers and sisters in other countries and regions of the world in serving you, Lord, in loving you. Lord, in all the things that we've heard, Lord, I pray that it not only gives us perspective, not just gives us knowledge, Lord. We've heard a lot. But we pray that you would stir in our hearts a next step. How might we respond, Lord, to what you're doing in the world? How might we respond to the changes we see in our own backyards here in the city? How might we respond to the changes we see at the ends of the earth? And might you call some of us, Lord? Might you stir in some of our hearts here the prompting to go, to live in this new reality of mission in the world today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.